We're going to Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 11. Matthew 11. Father, we thank you. So here we go. Verse number 2. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, that's John the Baptist, he sent two of his disciples and said to Jesus, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Wow. Thank you, Father. Your grace is sufficient. Your strength is made perfect in our weakness. And transform us, I pray, in our hearts as we open our minds to your truth. And the only truth there is is your word. Your truth is the only truth. So we receive truth because that truth leads us to victory, leads us to the ability to overcome our adversary. We thank you for triumph today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This is a very important word for our lives, very much so. So you might want to write these principles down in a few moments. I'm going to give you three of them. You're going to want to write them down and log them into your memo uh, on your smartphone because you will need these three principles. You will need them. Has anyone ever walked through discouragement? Anybody here ever walked through discouragement? This word is for everybody. Watch. Matthew 11, same chapter, same context, next verse. As they departed, these are John's disciples, as they departed, when John's followers left, says another version, John's disciples were leaving now, having conversed with Jesus. And guess what happens next? Jesus then begins talking about him to the crowds, to the multitudes. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Because they'd been out hearing John preach repentance. Was this man a weak reed swayed by every breath of the wind? Was he one of those preachers that just kind of goes with whatever's going on in the culture, just flows back and forth? No, John wasn't that kind of a man. In fact, Jesus goes on to say, John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, of all who have ever lived, of all men born of women, is what he's saying, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. What a statement Jesus makes to the crowd. Courage! Have courage! Even in the worst of conditions. There's an encouraging word Perhaps you have never heard. John the Baptist never got to hear an encouraging word in this world. Not this kind of a word. So the whole story centers around John the Baptist. John is described as the forerunner of Jesus. He prepared the path for Jesus to come into the world and to begin his ministry. He was third cousin to Jesus. He was the only son of Zacharias the priest and his wife Elizabeth. He was the son of their old age. His was a miracle birth. Unexpected in the sense that they were beyond the norm 
years-wise of giving birth. But they had prayed, and God blessed them with a son. John the Baptist was that boy. And John now has come out of the wilderness. He has been prepared by God himself. He's declaring the principles of God's word without compromise. He's calling the nation to repentance. And John is baptizing those who are repenting in the River Jordan. And one day, his third cousin, Jesus, arrives on the riverbank. John has the amazing privilege of introducing the culture to Jesus the Christ. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What an unforgettable moment in the life of John. That all of his lifetime of preparation from his miracle birthing to this moment in history where at the River Jordan he announces to the world the arrival of God in the flesh. And God has prepared John throughout his life's experiences in his faithfulness for this moment. He has the amazing privilege of announcing the Son of God has appeared. Messiah is here. John's privilege to reveal and identify Jesus as the Lamb of God, the one who will become the sacrifice for our sins. God prepared John throughout his life and his ministry for this moment in time. Now fast forward with me to Matthew 11 because my text is there and it's 16 months later from the time that Jesus has been baptized. And John is in prison. He's in a dungeon. It's a pit. And he was imprisoned for preaching to Herod a message he did not want to hear. For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in a prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Because John had said to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. John preached boldly. And in this instance, he preached straight at Herod, who was representing the Roman government, and he preached against his adulterous behavior. It cost John, as it does any pastor who remains faithful to God's word. And watch how sin works, because not much has changed from then till now. You transgress God's word. You get called out for it. Then you go after the one who calls you out. It's like that story I was watching on a newsreel the other night. It's kind of interesting. As many have I've seen do this, this particular lady decided without a handicap sticker, without any, anything that debilitated her, to park her vehicle in a handicap stall to go get a cup of coffee. Well, somebody noticed that, and as I've noticed it, I'm sure you have too. This person decided, you know what? I'm going to call this person out for doing this because somebody who needs this is not going to get it because she decided she didn't want to walk a few extra steps to go get a cup of coffee. So this guy gets his little phone out, and he begins to record her as she comes back to her car with her coffee in hand, right? So she sees this as he calls her out and says, what are you doing parking in a handicapped stall? when you don't have a handicap sticker and there's obviously nothing wrong with you. And so instead of saying, like one of us should, I was wrong, I, I apologize. I, that was not smart of me to do that. And uh, thanks for letting me know I won't do that again. She gets angry at the one who calls her out. She's mad at him, cusses him out, throws her cup of coffee at him. 
It's all on, it's all on video, okay? All right? Herodias was going to have John killed for exposing her sin. An opportune time came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a feast for his nobles and high officers and the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. In his drunken, lustful state, Herod says to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. And she said, The head of John the Baptist. Because he called out her mother for her sinfulness. John's in a dungeon. He's awaiting persecution. Two of John's followers, his disciples, two of his disciples pay him a visit. And John makes a request of them. Would you please go find Jesus and ask him, does he not know that I'm about to be executed? Ask Jesus if he's the one or do I need to look for another How's this all working that I find myself having done what I was asked to do? Then this is what I'm, I'm, I'm getting for it. John has been the one who identified Jesus, but he's in deep despair. And that would be normal in those conditions, deep despair. And he begins to wonder out of that despair, is Jesus the one? Is he the one? Did I, did I do the right thing? Was I on target when I did what I was doing? And John's two disciples rushed to find Jesus and where they find Jesus in a village and he's performing amazing miracles, the blind were seeing, the lame were walking, the deaf were hearing, the dead were being raised. And Jesus ignores the question of the two disciples when they first asked it. Didn't answer their question until he was done with ministry to the other people. When he's finished with his ministry, he does a 180. He turns around, seeing the two disciples, he says, You tell John what you have seen and heard. Tell John, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame are walking, and the dead are raised. Tell John, blessed is he who is not offended in me. And the key I want to focus on is verse number seven. After they left Jesus, the two disciples walked away. They heard what Jesus said. They, they take that message and they head back to John. They did not have a personal and encouraging word to give to John. There was no specific word about, I'll come and get you out of there, or it's okay, John, it'll be all right. No word from Jesus. No, John, just hang in there. Jesus knows your personal dilemma. He knows you're hurting. Not one word of encouragement is delivered. And the two depart Jesus, and Jesus turns and does a 180 now after they've left, He speaks to the audience that he's just ministered to, and he begins teaching them about the greatness of John the Baptist. This was a word that John never got to hear before his execution, nor did those two followers or disciples. The multitude got to hear this. John's followers never got to hear it. John himself never got to hear it. John's disciples were not there when Jesus said, Of all the men born of women, there is none greater than John the Baptist. Imagine how that would have encouraged John to have heard Jesus say that about him. Jesus is performing amazing miracles in the middle, middle of all of that. Jesus talks about you, John, that there's never been anyone born greater than you. 
That's what Jesus said, but they never could carry that message to John the Baptist. Can you imagine how that might have helped John in that moment of difficulty to deal with a stink-filled hole in the ground, chains binding him, impending beheading? Can you imagine the encouragement and the strength that would have brought to John the Baptist? He would have rather probably enjoyed hearing that. It would have strengthened John to have heard that. John never got to hear those words from Jesus. Over the years, I have performed and attended numerous funerals. Once in a while, some of them get very lengthy, unduly so. When I preached and conducted the funeral for my predecessor, Pastor Marvin Long, at the end of that wonderful celebration, and it was a fabulous celebration with district officers speaking and sharing. And the timing of it was spot on. Thank the Lord. Pastor Glenn Cole jumped up and he came over to me and he said, thank you. I said, for what? He said, for making sure this was well done and well executed in a very timely manner. He said, because I just last weekend came back from a funeral that lasted three hours. He said, it was just overbearing. And I said, tell me why. He said, because, you know, all the stuff they said was good and all the videos and stuff they showed were good and everybody speaking was all good. But a lot of that could have been reserved for their family and friends at a reception. There was so much of it, he said, just wore a lot of people out. And he said, you know, all the, all the things, he's kind, he's Good father, provided well, faithful to church, volunteered where he can. But people were allowed to speak with no time limits and just go on and on and on and on. And I remember in a funeral one day, I was watching the clock and seeing what people started to do. And as I observed it, we got past the hour, went by, and we're into the second hour. And I thought to myself, it came to me, he's not hearing any of this. Okay? He's not hearing any of this. The most encouraging words were never heard by the deceased. Are you listening to me? And understand that. So what's, what's better and what's more appropriate? Do we, does somebody have to die before we brag about them? How about talking about how wonderful they are while they're here and telling them that? If you want to say something good, I need it now. I need encouragement now. You need encouragement now, not later. And Jesus spoke of John in such complimentary terms. But John never heard those words while he was in prison. And here's truth John never heard. If you're struggling, discouraged, in despair, held in a prison of pain, a prison of former abuse, locked up by addictions, struggling to break free from past failures and guilt, if John could have heard what Jesus said about him, he could have embraced these great truths that you're going to get blessed to hear today. And principle number one, you're doing better than you think you are. Tell your neighbor you're doing better than you think you are. The word says that Satan is the accuser of the body of Christ. If hell is the accuser of the body of Christ, I want to be the encourager of the body of Christ. Christ loves you. Even with your issues, you're doing better than you think you are. And somebody needs to know today, you're going to make it. Someone needs to know today, you're going to get there. 
You may not be what you ought to be as yet, but you're not what you used to be. You'll get there by God's grace. So don't give up and don't quit and don't live in discouragement. One preacher said, I will tell you how to go to heaven. Everybody waited. And then he said, don't ever stop going. Point yourself in that direction and keep walking. Head toward heaven. Ecclesiastes 3, seasons are revealed about people's lives, our lives. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to laugh and a time to cry. A time to dance and a time to mourn. A time to gather and a time to let go. 28 different seasons are listed in the book of Ecclesiastes 3. The one season you will never find in that chapter a time to quit. There is never a time to quit in your life. If you'll keep going, that's how you're going to make it to heaven. Never turn back. Encourage your neighbor. This is no time to quit. Amen? You don't know what your neighbor's going through when you say that to that person. You don't know what prison they're in. You don't know their depression. You don't know what fear. You don't know what financial hardship. You don't know the illness that they're struggling with. A terminal diagnosis. The word of the Lord to you today. You're doing better than you think you are. There may be restrictions right now. Barriers and impairments. But you're still blessed. And if John would have heard that in Herod's prison, no doubt he would have rattled those chains and praised the Lord. You're doing better than you think you are. Well, Pastor, I'm a single parent. I don't have much income, or I have terminal cancer, or I have an addiction that I've been struggling with. Keep posturing your heart toward heaven. You're going to make it. Well, Pastor, how do you know I'm going to make it? Because you're here today and you're hearing the word of God, which encourages you. And if you were as bad as you imagine yourself, you would not want to be in church listening to a pastor preach to you, even if I fall, I fall forward. If you do fall, beat the accuser to the throne of grace, because Satan accuses you before the Lord. What I've learned when I fall, I get up and run to the throne of God, and I beat the accuser to God's throne. Amen. Well, Pastor, how do you know I'm doing better? Because you're not in the crack house. Huh? You're not in the funeral home. Right? You're in the house of God. It takes 72 muscles for you to smile. It takes 108 for you to frown. Why don't you get lazy and be happy? Yeah. Be encouraged. I'm tired of watching people in the church frowning, the devil discouraging them, beating them down. There's a God who loves you. He's bragging about you. Hear his word of encouragement. Thank God for grace. It never lets us go. John never heard that, but you get to hear that. Thank the Lord. Principle two, you matter more than you think you do. Tell your neighbor, you matter. And hear God's word. Everybody helped his neighbor. This is Old Testament. Everybody helped his neighbor. That's the way the church ought to work. And said to his brother, be of good courage. So the craftsman encouraged the goldsmith. He who smooths with the hammer inspired him with strikes with the anvil. 
saying, it's ready for the soldering. Then he fastened it with pegs that it might not totter. Now watch. The carpenter encouraged the goldsmith. The goldsmith encouraged the one with the hammer. The one with the hammer encouraged the one striking the anvil. They were encouraging each other because they were saying to each other, you matter. No, you matter. No, you matter. And the reason they didn't want the construction to fall over or to wobble or to stagger. God wants no one staggering in their walk. God wants everyone to stand up and be stable. And all it takes sometimes is a word of encouragement from a neighbor, a brother, a sister in the Lord, a hug, a word. I'll say to a parent today, you matter more than you think you do. We can get discouraged attempting to raise our families, trying to keep everybody moving in the right direction. And you hit a wall and you wonder, what difference does it make? No matter what is happening today, you matter more than you think you do. My dad's going on to be with the Lord, rejoicing in the presence of God. This is a man who blessed God's work, and God's, God used him to bless ministry. And, and in our lives in ministry, we've always lived away from our fam, immediate families. But when he passed, I was privileged to preach his funeral. It was packed house. I mean, packed house. Hadn't seen it packed like that since revival days when I was a kid. Wall-to-wall people, friends, business associates. But as great as that privilege that it was to preach his funeral, I wish I could have looked him in the eye one more time before he passed and said to him, Dad, you matter. Dad, you never preached the sermon in church, but you lived it by example, and you really mattered to me and my family. Because of you, Dad, I was able to be in the ministry. I was able to get an education and prepare myself for ministry. You matter to me. When my younger brother passed early in his life because of a brain aneurysm, he was a minister of music, talent way beyond average. He had his master's degree in music. He was the keyboardist for a national radio program out of Springfield for four years while he was in college. The person in charge of the chair of the music department at Central Bible College wrote a note to our family saying, in my history here at CBC, he was the best pianist to ever come across our campus. But I wish I could have told him. I preached his funeral too. But I wish I could have told him one time before he lost consciousness, looked him in the eye and said, you matter. Alan, you matter. You bless lives. You made a difference in the hearts of people because you had an anointing on your ability and it brought people into the presence of God. You matter. We go through experiences. We get tangled up in trials and tribulations. And in those moments, sometimes we're apt to put ourselves down. We think, what's the use? My life doesn't matter. John wondered. Jesus is performing miracles. Jesus is doing all these great things and I don't even matter anymore but you matter more than you know. Jesus Christ himself needed encouragement. He ascends the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses and Elijah descend out of heaven, and they come to speak with Jesus about his impending crucifixion, his impending death, because this is going to be 
the greatest singular moment in all of human history when God himself sacrifices himself for our sins. And the weight of it is almost beyond Jesus' ability in his humanity to bear. Can this cup pass from me? Is there any other way, Father, that we can achieve this? Yet nevertheless, not my will, but yours. When you're in the thick of the storm and the battles begin to rage around you and the question raises in your mind, you question everything, but you're doing better than you think you are. And you matter more than you think you do. In Luke 17, Moses and Elijah speak to Jesus about his impending crucifixion. And Moses no doubt offered, I had to die before the children of Israel could ever enter into the promised land. Elijah offered, I was taken up in a chariot of fire before a double portion was released in his life. Elijah then performed twice the miracles that I did. It was only released after I was taken up. And suddenly Jesus is encouraged to keep heading toward the cross, to finish the work, to complete the assignment, because your gifts and abilities contributing to the body of Christ at Calvary Christian Center matter more than you know. John was so important to Jesus' ministry. He was such an important fixture in how the transition would happen for Jesus to begin his ministry. Yet he never heard this word of encouragement. Of all men, born of women, there was none greater than John the Baptist. He never heard those words fall from the lips of Jesus. And I wonder who's thinking about giving up, running away. The enemy's planted a thought of suicide in your mind because you think, my life is useless. And you think, what difference does it make? I've messed my life up. I've messed up other people's lives. Wouldn't it be something if that person this morning could hear what John did not get privileged to hear? You matter. You make a difference. Don't bother to show up at my funeral weeping and crying, trying to show some appreciation. Tell me why I'm alive. Tell your neighbor, tell me why I'm alive. Don't play drama games at funerals. Tell me while I'm alive. And principle number three, it's less about you than you think. That's the message I never heard. It's not about you. It's not all about you. Things happen in our lives, and there's always another perspective happening because it's not all about you. John was in prison. He's thinking, it's all about me. I'm stuck here. Everybody else is out running around with ministry and great things are happening and I'm stuck in this hole in the ground. But Jesus is thinking, no. Oh, no, 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 no. It's all about the kingdom. This is all about the kingdom of our God. It's awesome when you're born again. It's awesome when you're water baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. And as great it is for you, remember, you have a Father in heaven. You have a cloud of witnesses that are cheering you on from heaven. You have loved ones in heaven. The Word says, when one sinner repents, all of heaven breaks out and rejoices. And thank God it's not all about you. All of heaven is involved. This is about the kingdom. Adam and Eve, they sinned in the garden. God could have just wiped the two of them out and started all over again. Why didn't God begin over again? 
They messed up. They were broken. There were just two of them at the time. Begin again. Start over. Start fresh. God's not into replacing that which is damaged. God's into restoring what has been damaged. God's not into replacing damaged marriages. God is into restoring damaged marriages. And if you're in one, you serve a God who doesn't seek to replace you. He desires to restore you. It's less about you than you think. It's all about Jesus, his cross, and his sacrifice. Man's on the shoulder of a road. The hood of his car is up. He's been sitting there a few minutes, unable to start his vehicle again. Cars go by. Finally, a limousine pulls just ahead of him, sees him, has his driver pull the limo out in front of the car on the shoulder. And a man dressed to the nines got out of this limo and walks up to the man standing behind his disabled car. And he offers to help him. I'd like to help. So he told the man with the disabled car, he said, listen, I looked under the hood here a minute and I think I know what to do. Just get in the vehicle and watch for my signal. And when I give you the signal, turn the ignition. Okay? So the man got in and he waited for the gentleman in the suit to get under the hood and tinker a little bit. And then all of a sudden, the man under the hood gives him a signal and the man turns the ignition. The car starts, it turns over, right? And the man jumps out of the car and he says to the well-dressed man, what did you do? And what do I owe you? And the well-dressed man said, you don't owe me anything. Well, why in the world would you stop to help me? I mean, you're in this nice car and you're dressed so nicely. He said, well, my name is Henry Ford. I'm the creator of this car you're driving. And it really bothers me to see one broken down on the side of the road, not doing what I created it to do. As I'm saying to you today, God will not replace you. He will restore you because it troubles him to see you're not living the life he created you to live. It's less about you because your father derives great joy when he sees you overcoming, when he sees you maturing, when he's watching you have courage to stand in the middle of a battle. Job lost all of his wealth. Then he lost all of his children. And then he lost his health. He didn't understand. But it was less about him than he thought at the moment. Because in heaven there had been a conversation between God and Satan. And God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? God brags about Job. What a phenomenal guy he is. How he, he, he walks away from sin. He heads always in the direction of righteousness. And God begins to brag. And often when we're in adversity, we don't think God's thinking about us or that God loves us. No, perhaps God's been bragging about you. Have you considered my servant Job? And Satan said, anybody could serve you with the kind of a hedge you built around Job. You've given everything to him. He lives in a perfect environment. Who couldn't live for you like that? And God said, you couldn't. <laughs> Don't allow Satan to beat on you with condemnation. Remind him he could not live for God in heaven. And I'm living for God here on earth. He could not live for God in an environment without sin. 
I'm living for God with sin all around me. And when I stumble, I get back up and I beat you to the throne of grace. Thank God it's less about us and always more about him. Always. It's one thing to be able to worship God when everything's going the way you want it. When everything has turned out the way you hoped for. You've got your home paid for. You've got nice cars. Your income is stable. But can you worship God like Job? Not because of, but in spite of. Trials, tests, pain, discouragement, setbacks. When you can praise in pain, when you can lift your voice up out of your discouragement and say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. I don't praise you because of. I praise you in spite of. Because it's not about us. It's always all about him. Amen? It's always all about him. John fulfilled the mission for which God placed him here. And that was to be the forerunner of Jesus, to preach repentance in the way of the Lord and introduce the world to the living Son of God. He did everything God wanted of him. See, you're doing better than you imagine. You matter more than you think you do. And it's always about him, his kingdom, his plans for you in his kingdom. John perhaps never got to hear those words here, but I can promise you when Jesus descended into Abraham's bosom after the crucifixion and led captivity captive and went knocking on the prison door, of all the saints of old. I said, John, is that you? Jesus, is that you? Yeah. Well done, son. Let's go. We're heading for heaven. You can bet he heard great words and accolades from the Son of God for having done his job and done it well. You will not leave here tottering stumbling, staggering. You will leave here standing, encouraged, because we will not quit now. We will do what it is God has assigned us to do to the best of our ability with loyalty and faithfulness. And even in the middle of the tests, trials, imprisonments, and pain, we will still thank him for the privilege of having served him Because great is the reward for those who are still standing when the dust settles. Standing. It's kind of a good word on a Sunday morning. So go ahead and stand and praise the Lord. Come on. Praise the Lord. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice. Even when tears are running down my cheeks.